You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. The first doses of the COVID-19 vaccine are on their way into the arms of the American public. What do pharmacists need to know? We'll talk about that and more next on Locked On Pharmacy. You are listening to the Locked On Pharmacy podcast, the insider's view into the world of pharmacy. Hello, this is Frank Fortin with the American Pharmacists Association. With the emergency authorization of one COVID-19 vaccine behind us and another around the corner, the spotlight is on pharmacy to deliver the vaccines. Residents of long-term care facilities and frontline health care providers will be the first to get it, and that includes pharmacists. What do pharmacists need to know about the vaccine for themselves and their patients? Joining me to discuss that are Michael Hogue, president of APHA. He's also been a member of a working group of healthcare leaders advising CDC on the rollout of the vaccine. Also, we speak with Stephen Foster. In his distinguished career, he has served as a faculty member at the University of Tennessee School of Pharmacy and as a captain with the U.S. Public Health Service. For nearly 20 years, he's also been APHA's liaison to the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. So, Michael and Stephen, welcome to the program. Um, quite a weekend we had with the FDA announcement and the ACIP announcement and all planes rolling to uh, schools, pharmacies, and hospitals and other institutions. Michael, this has been quite a moment for pharmacy. What do you make of it? Well, you know, I've, I've been trying to think of a way to compare what's happening right now with the rollout of the COVID vaccine to a point in history. And the only thing I can think of offhand is the moment when uh, polio vaccine came to market, which uh, was a little bit before my time. Uh, but I'm told that uh, by a, a pharmacist who hap happened to be a lab tech for Dr. Salk and Dr. Sabin at the CDC at the time, that uh, while the discovery of the vaccines was really an important thing and was very exciting. There was nothing more exciting than seeing polio vaccine go into arms of people and to see the rates of polio plummet and uh, to see that disease eventually uh, nearly disappear. And so I kind of feel like that's our moment, that that's our, that's our generation's moment here that we're experiencing with COVID vaccine. So I'm pretty excited and hope, hoping that uh, with good uptake, we'll see the same thing happen, that we'll see COVID disease rates begin to fall. Stephen, from your perspective as serving on ACIP, uh, what, is, what are your thoughts as this uh, new moment in the pandemic has arrived? So I think the first observation is the amount of work that people have put into everything that has happened so far. It's been an incredible effort on, on a lot of people's part. I mean, this weekend, again, uh, Michael, I know we were, we were very busy again this weekend with meetings and all going on. And that's not even to talk about the, the healthcare providers in the field that are actually uh, working very hard to, to keep going. The, the, the other one observation though, is how polarized our country is in everything. And, and, with people with the comments about the vaccines, which is why it's so important that we get the word out because there are just so many opinions out there. Um, and, and that's what they are, their opinions. They're really not based on a lot of fact. So let's start right in, right in on that. There's so much to talk about, but since you brought it up, Steve, what are the kind of conversations that pharmacists need to have with patients if they bring up some of these concerns that they've heard in mainstream or we'll call them less than mainstream media? They they need to be positive about the vaccine. I think is the main the main 
thing that we can really tell them to do. The and I've actually heard some healthcare providers going, "Well, I don't think I believe in this," and and that's just based again on not on the fact, but on what their opinions are about things. Which we've got to be positive. We've got to be able to tell them, "I, I got the vaccine uh, as first chance I got." Um, I have no hesitancy about the safety of the vaccine. Uh, the effectiveness is the best that we've ever seen. Um, I think we need to be real positive about it. Michael? Yeah, could I, could I just add in there that, um, you know, over the last 20 years, the average vaccine study that's come to the FDA to approve vaccines to market, and we've had a lot over the last 20 years, the average one has had about 27,000 people in it. Study that was used for the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine has over thirty thousand uh, uh, patients who were reported in the in the initial study, and there's actually over forty thousand enrolled in the follow-ups. You're talking about a very large study here, and there were no serious uh, out, uh, adverse effects. Yes, there will be a sore arm. Uh, about 85% of people are going to say that their arm's sore after they receive the vaccine. Uh, as many as 15% of the people may have a fever that usually lasts only about a day after it comes on. Uh, some muscle and joint pain um, and some general fatigue are not uncommon. But again, all of those things tend to resolve within three days. I think what's really important for pharmacists to reiterate to consumers is that um, this vaccine is safe. It's gone through very many processes. The, the normal processes for vaccine approval, they've uh, occurred here. They've not been sped up. Those processes are the same. And um, and that it's uh, it's safe to take this vaccine. And it's certainly a whole lot better risk to take than the risk of catching covid potentially winding up in the hospital on a ventilator or dying. One of the things that surprised everyone, I think, were the reports from the UK about the allergic reaction, uh, some allergic reactions to the vaccine. How do you talk to patients about that who heard about it and seem concerned about it? As, as with any vaccine, I think as we get it out on the market, we're going to see things that did not occur in the study. You go from 30,000 to millions of people taking the vaccine. Everybody's immune system is different. And, uh, and there are going to be reactions that we don't know about. That, but that is the reason for the follow-up the, the follow systems that are built into our vaccination program in this country. Um, while this is real and patients need to be warned about the potential for vaccines, because it is an unknown, uh, we, we, we can only quote about what happened in this, this study group, uh, is we're going to see other things. So we need to warn them about the potential for it. And by the way, this is kind of what I would almost call part of the shared clinical decision-making of vaccines, which we, we do with, I would say, every vaccine that we really need to, to talk with our patients about what's going on. But I think it will, all right now, people who have said they want the vaccine, this isn't going to be an issue for them. Michael, there are all sorts of surveillance programs in place to keep track of what's going on post-rollout. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think one of the things that our listeners need to know most of all is about the V-SAFE program. So the CDC has worked tirelessly and the Vaccine Safety Office to create a new tool, a new resource that will help with uh, with uh, real-time uh, vaccine safety. Um, if you go to the CDC's website and look for coronavirus vaccine, you'll find the links to V-SAFE, V-SAFE. And um, the V-SAFE program, is a way for people who receive the vaccine to download an app to their uh, smartphone device or right on their computer if they don't have a smartphone. They can um, actually sign, uh, register in that they've received the vaccine. 
if they experience any kind of adverse event, it doesn't matter if it's a minor adverse event or a major adverse event, they can record that in the system. And in real time, the CDC will receive that information. If the adverse event is serious in nature, uh, the CDC can then call you and actually talk with you about it and determine um, what the instances were around that. And the second thing it does is it actually will give you a reminder of when it's time to come back to get your second dose of the vaccine, depending on which product you got. So we really need pharmacists and other healthcare providers across the country to print out the handy posters uh, for the VSAFE program that are found on the website. Hang those posters all over your pharmacies, hang them all over your practices, uh, and encourage patients uh, every time they get a, a vaccine, a COVID vaccine, to register for VSAFE. Really talk to your patients about this because this is a critical way that we do what Steve said, which is to continue to monitor safety. The beautiful thing is we've never had the ability to do real-time safety monitoring. This will be the first vaccine launch in history where we've really done real-time safety monitoring on these vaccines with millions of people. So VSAFE, in my opinion, is a great program, and we should really be promoting it. You know, I don't want to be talking so much on the uh, glass-half-empty side of the equation. Michael, see, in many ways, this is a, like a lot of immunizations. What is different about this than uh, compared to some all the other vaccinations and medications that pharmacists have been accustomed to administering over the, over the past few decades? There, there are two key things that are different about uh, the first uh, COVID-19 vaccines coming to market. Number one, this is the first mRNA vaccine technology we've had. Um, there's a lot of questions about that. Uh, there were a lot of concerns that, you know, maybe the studies were rushed or whatever, but uh, the reality is, is that mRNA technology has been used in cancer research in humans for about 15 years. Uh, yes, it is the first time we've used this technology to create a vaccine. Uh, but uh, that's an important uh, difference, a distinction. So we do have something new that's happening there. And the second thing is, is that this is the first vaccine that I, I'm aware of, uh, perhaps in history, that has to be stored at an ultra cold temperature um, at minus 70 centigrade, which is about 94 degrees Fahrenheit, minus 94 degrees Fahrenheit. And the reason for that is because the vaccine's preservative-free. There are no preservatives in this vaccine. And there's a lot of concern out there uh, in the consumer uh, sector about the ingredients of the vaccine. Is there something in this vaccine that's going to harm me? And I'll just tell you that the ingredients for the COVID-19 vaccine that's being released this week with Pfizer-BioNTech uh, is is based on lipids. Uh, it's based on there. Uh, in in addition to lipids and the mRNA uh, carrier that's there, uh, there's uh, potassium salts, sodium chloride, um, and uh, 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 polystyrene. What's the? I'm sorry, uh, polyethylene glycol. Sorry, I got the name tangled on my tongue. And uh, uh, so, I mean, mostly the ingredients that are in this vaccine are things that we routinely find in food products and other medicines. There's nothing nothing uh, that would be considered a chemical contaminant, so to speak, uh, in this vaccine. So there, that's another reason and another way that pharmacists can actually address confidence and, and hesitancy issues, the vaccine's a safe vaccine from its manufacturing process. I want to add one thing to, the, to both of those comments. Number one, uh, I really hope this vaccine 
uh, is expanded into other products because of the fact that number one, it it is such a new, uh, it's a very fast uh, developing product. We got this out in record time and we still have other vaccines that are coming that are based on older technology that still aren't even out uh, in clinical trials yet. So this uh, this has been an incredible fast process. So I'm hoping that we can use this in the future as an extremely effective vaccine, which we don't see in all vaccines that we have out there either. So um, with those two two components right there, I, I think that, oh, by the way, the other thing that was kind of interesting to me, the first time I've heard this was the fact that um, they're studying uh, refrigerator stable versions of this vaccine now. Um, they announced that during the ACIP meeting, and, and I'd not heard that statement made before. So some of these problems are going to be uh, overcome, I think, in the future. This is quite a moment. It's a moment that the profession has been training for for decades now. Um, reflect on that, if you will. Start with Steve. Pharmacists have always stepped up to the to the plate for anything. If you if you think about any time that we we've had a hurricane, we've had a a disaster in this country. I always I always comment on the fact that how pharmacists are so well uh, capable of handling emergencies, but as soon as emergency is over, we're no longer capable of handling it, so they take the privileges away. But we have done so much over the years with with uh, stepping up to the plate, and this is one more time that that we are going to step up to the plate. We're going to make things happen. Pharmacists don't fail. And so I think this is a an incredible time for us to show what we, and it's, it's actually a necessary time for the public and the professions, different professions to see what pharmacists really can do. Well, you know, just to be real honest, there's a whole lot of things that are good that have happened during this pandemic that would have never happened had pharmacists not been the uh, people carrying out those good things. So for example, testing. Much while, while we don't tend to have yet still a national testing strategy, access to testing has been increased exponentially because pharmacists stepped up to the plate and said, we'll help. And in local communities, especially in rural areas where there really aren't any other healthcare providers, pharmacists stepped up and did it. And that's the same thing with the vaccine. I'll be very honest with you, the entire national vaccine strategy, it appears, is hinging, is hinging largely on pharmacists being able to administer the vaccines. If pharmacists were to throw their hands up tomorrow and say, we're not participating, there wouldn't be a national vaccine strategy for COVID-19 because we are uh, uh, making a big part of it. And I don't want that to sound like we're hyperinflating ourselves. We're not. We're stepping up willingly. But the, the fact of the matter is, is I think public policymakers, public health officials have seen in the brightest terms possible that pharmacists are essential to the healthcare system. And particularly during emergencies, uh, pharmacists are critical to making sure that we mitigate these emergencies. So I, I think we've put ourselves in a very positive light. And my hope and prayer is that after, uh, shortly after this pandemic is over, uh, that uh, Congress will actually act and give pharmacists provider status finally uh, after we've had the demonstrated uh, effectiveness in what we've done here. Let me I'd actually back. like to add, and I'd like to add one more thing to that is that we need to give kudos to our pharmacy leaders and including Michael, who has been in the middle of this from the very beginning as the president of APHA um, and serving on the uh, ACIP working group for COVID, uh, plus the the leadership at APHA who's actually been in Congress and 
and talking to everybody. I mean, we've had some incredible leaders throughout this whole process, some very positive leaders. I give them a lot of kudos too. But I'd like to conclude by, is there, is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't covered, Michael and Stephen, about this before we conclude this program? Well, a couple of things that I want to just point out to pharmacists that they should know about the vaccine. Um, num number one thing that uh, I think you should just be reminded is that when you're allocated doses and you have those doses in your pharmacy, uh, you don't need to hold back doses for the second dose. The way the public health system has set up the distribution process here is that you'll receive a certain number of doses. You need to administer all of those doses, and then the public health system will allocate an equal number of doses to you at a three-week interval for the Pfizer product or four-week interval for the Moderna product. And so um, you need to have the confidence there that that's going to happen. We all uh, trust that the public health system is going to do that, and uh, but that's what we've been asked to do to try to provide protection as quickly as possible. The second thing is, is that pharmacists need to know that as a participant in the COVID-19 vaccine um, uh, uh, program, national program, that you're committing that if you see an adverse event in a patient that you will report it um, officially, that that's going to happen and that uh, that you're going to take a, advantage of that and report it. And so we, we want to make sure you're reporting your adverse events and that you're promoting the V-Safe product. Um, and uh, VAERS is the vaccine adverse event reporting system that you report to. And you also need to remember that you are committing that you're going to report your doses into your state's immunization registry uh, and that you will uh, daily log any remaining doses you have into vaccine finder. So there is a little bit of logistics, but this is important so that we know what vaccine we've used and how much we have left, especially when we have limited quantities. It's really critical that we do that. So I would say those are just some logistical things on the pharmacy side that's very important. Um, there's also lots of details that I'd point our listeners to on the CDC's website on the ACIP page. There are downloadable slides from the meetings that Steve and the other members of the ACIP had this weekend on Friday and on Sunday. And those slides contain some really, really important information about what to do with special populations like women who are pregnant, who want to be vaccinated, uh, uh, individuals who are immunocompromised and want to be vaccinated. Uh, it talks about uh, uh, what's what we know about the vaccine in the elderly and what we know about it in children. Um, and so those things are all details that we didn't have time to talk about on your show today. Um, and so we, I would really point people to those. This is the time that we've always said that pharmacists need to be aware and become experts in a field. And it's not difficult to do. Uh, the, there's very good, uh, as Michael said, stuff on the website. Yesterday was published the MMWR of the meeting we had the day before. That was unprecedented uh, to see happen. And that has multiple links in that to talk about some of these clinical considerations Michael just talked about. Not all of them are up as of today. They're, uh, they're working on them. Uh, but there, there is a lot, of, uh, a lot of stuff that's coming. And I think, like I said, you need to be able as a pharmacist to answer questions that patients have. And you're not going to be able to answer them if you don't do some studying to get up with this. Uh, and and the, the information there is available. And the only other thing I would say is this is the time for pharmacists to pay close attention to their technique. This is not the time to have some adverse effects by injecting too high in the shoulder or using wrong techniques and, and uh, where, where patients actually uh, suffer uh, 
for the wrong reason, not not because of reaction to the vaccine, but because of what somebody's done to them. Uh, we don't need that kind of publicity. We still get that publicity with, with the shoulder injuries um, because of injecting too high in the shoulder. This is the time to pay meticulous attention to technique and handling and storage. Frank, I could add one thing just to point your listeners to pharmacist.com. Pharmacist.com has tremendous resources about coronavirus and also has uh, great resources for immunizing pharmacists, including videos uh, that uh, pharmacists can watch to ensure that they have their intramuscular technique uh, uh, appropriate. And so um, those are uh, free. Um, uh, of course, we want people to join APHA and become a member, but uh, even non-members can access that content and be able to watch those videos and 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 hone their skills. Well, Michael Hogan, Stephen Foster, thank you very much for joining us. An exciting time for pharmacy. Our pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for having us. And that's it for Locked On Pharmacy. For more information, visit APHA's resources on COVID-19 at pharmacist.com slash coronavirus. This is Frank Fortin for the American Pharmacists Association. Thank you for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by the American Pharmacists Association, the largest professional association of pharmacists in the United States. 